Thanks for checking out the Power Place audio podcast. The Power Place exists to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily, to empower you with His Spirit and His Word so that you can engage your world. Here at the Power Place, we believe the Bible from cover to cover. And our prayer is that as you listen, the absolute truth of God's Word would bring complete freedom to every area of your life. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Yes. I'm excited to be in the house of God today. I'm excited to share what the Lord has laid on my heart for all of you. And in case you haven't realized yet, we value loud here. <laughs> I love it. Two, two times Pastor Isaiah, you know, just had the voices in the church sing. And there's nothing like that sound. It's going to be what happens day and night, 24-7, all day, every day when we get to heaven. Just our voices praising the Lord, and I cannot wait. I love catching a glimpse of heaven like that every week here. And uh, I'm thankful that we have a church that is, is not afraid to be loud in worship. There's something that happens, and we'll get into this in just a minute. There's something happens when we're loud in worship. I love that his presence is in this place, and the thing is, when you invite him, he shows up, but it's your job, it's our job to respond to his presence. He can be here, and he'll be waiting for you, but until you take that step to enter in, you won't feel that presence moving in you until you say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive. He's waiting. It's your job to respond. Amen? Amen. Um, I was just talking this morning to Miss Yolandi back here on... Uh, our CG, our computer graphics, computer running the lyrics. Can we give it up for, for our production team who does such an excellent job? Yeah. They do an incredible job week in and week out. I was just talking to her, and um, she, we were talking about how we love challenges and we love, uh, you know, being faced with one and being able to overcome that thing. And then she brought it to finding that in the Word of God. And I said, man, how cool is that? We, we have a God who, who all, there's always more to learn about him. We'll never know everything about him until we get to heaven. But we have the opportunity to continue to learn more about him here on earth. And I love that. I love that we have a God who's willing, who's, who's available. He's not someone who hides himself from us. He's there. All we have to do is seek him out. And he says, okay, here's some more. Here's another nugget of wisdom for you. Here's something to sustain you for the week, or, or, or maybe it's that, that word for the year that he's revealed to you uh, to sustain you, to grow you, to help you in your walk with him. I just love, I love that. And, and, and through conversation, through relationship, we can learn from each other. Amen? Amen. Well, we're on week eight of our core value series, and um, we're going to do a little bit of a, of a review. We started a school. We launched a school. Uh, Two, two weeks ago now, what are we, 10 days in? 10 days in, yes. Man, what an incredible thing God is doing through this school. We've had reports of families saying our, our home is different. Our kids are different in coming home. And it's because they're being instilled with the word of God. They're learning how to encounter his presence and respond to him every single day. That's what is so important for us to do every day get in the word of God, get into his presence, and, and we're seeing families already beginning to change. We're hearing reports of what God is doing in their lives, and it's an incredible thing. So in honor of that, we're going to do a little review, a little pop quiz for you. Um, so week one, we, we talked about honor, and we say here, honor, honor, honor all around. Come on, you guys got this down. We place the value of heaven on you because you bear the image of Christ. Number two, week two, is truth. And we say that absolute truth, complete freedom. It equals complete freedom. We believe the Bible from cover to cover. The greatest counsel you will ever receive is from the word of God and being in his presence daily. It's from the word of God and being in his presence daily. Number three, stewardship. We say, don't be a stupid, be a stupid steward. We manage heaven's resources for the father's business. The heart's cry of a good steward is it will never be mine. It will always be yours. We give him our time, talent, treasure, and tongue. And excellence, excellence is a reflection of heaven. He gave us his best, his one and only son, 
so we give him our best. Unity, we say, a house divided against itself cannot stand. We choose to lean into intentional conversations because hard conversations, they lead to health. Real, we don't do fake. Real relationships bring real results. We don't shy away from vulnerability or transparency in building authentic relationships. And health, we learned last week that daily encounters with the Lord matter. We prioritize our health by submitting our mind, body, soul, and spirit to the Lord. We honor the Sabbath. We come away before we come apart. And we say that because in Mark 6.31, Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So we come away before we come apart. We rest so that we can pour out again. We renew. We let the Lord renew us so that we can pour out again. Health produces health. And this week, today, you've already heard it. We're talking about loud, and we say here, his honor over our dignity. Our situation doesn't dictate our praise. Our praise dictates our situation. I am not innately a loud person. That's just not who I am. Um, I was always the shy one. I, I didn't, I wasn't outgoing. I just never, I always observed. I'm an observer. That's who I am. If you hang around me, you'll see me observing things. And I recognize things that maybe most people won't pull out because I, God created me in that way. And that's okay. But guess what? There are moments where I've got to step out of my comfort zone where he wants to utilize me, to stretch me, to grow me, to become who he's called me to be. So even though I have tendencies to do one thing, if the Lord is calling me to something greater, then I'm going to say, yes, God, I'll do it, whatever it takes, whatever you want from me, I'm going to step into that. So I may not be, uh, as a person, loud, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit inside me gives me a, a strength and a power that I cannot have on my own, that I do not have on my own. I lean into him to be loud in the situations where I need to be loud. And I'll tell you one thing, I did not know what loud was until I met the Hollis family. <laughs> we talked about this last week at lunch, and, uh, and they said that, they, they jokingly said, uh, we don't want to take your whole sermon, because we know that's probably what it's going to be based around. I did not know what loud was until I met the Hollis family, especially my brother-in-law, if you don't know, Pastor Isaiah. He's been given a unique gift in his loudness. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for what I've been able to glean from them, um, not just because of who they were gifted to be, who they were born to be, but because of the word of God that they stand on and what I've learned about being loud in my faith, about being loud about the things that matter. And uh, I'm, so, I'm so thankful for that. <laughs> I didn't know what loud was. And then I met the Hollises and, and I said, yeah, this is what that is. The, the Bible talks quite often about being loud, whether using that word uh, or, or describing what loud is, and there are so many passages. I didn't even realize how many until I went to talk about this. There are 236 passages in 43 books that mention the word loud or describing loud in several different contexts, you know, some of them good, some of them, uh, you know, saying don't be loud uh, in, in, for different you know, situations. But then there are uh, three scriptures that we've attached this core value uh, or to this core value. And the first one is in Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. And it says, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and took the city. Psalm 33.3 says, sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. I think the Lumineers must have read this and, and said, hey, let's throw our hey in there while we're playing acoustic. And uh, you play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Hey, uh, Psalm 50 or Psalm 150, three through six. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with a lyre and harp. Praise him with a tambourine and dancing. 
Praise him with the strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with a loud clanging cymbal, with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Something happens physically and spiritually when we praise the Lord loudly. Something shifts. There's an article that I read on what happens when we sing. And they're not talking about when we sing worship. They're just talking about in general. What happens when we sing? And it said, the endorphins released when we sing, which are oxytocin and dopamine, they enhance the neuroplasticity of the brain. It boosts our immune system, fights illness, depression, and strokes, and helps us manage pain. And I read that and I said, man, if this is what normal singing does, which God created, imagine what worshiping the Lord does through our singing and, and singing loudly. If it, if it does all these things for us, don't you think that God had an intentional design for singing in the first place, for singing praises to him? And so when we do this, something happens in our body, something happens in our mind, something happens in our spirit. It begins to break through walls that we can't even see in the spiritual realm. And something happens when we sing praises to him. If normal singing does that, what, is our, what do our praises do? What does our worship do? We're going to look at another passage of scripture today that talks about being loud. And it's in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 40. I'm going to read all this passage for you so we can understand its context. Then we're going to break it down a little bit. Does that sound good? So starting in verse 16, once we were going to the place of prayer, once when we were going to the place of prayer, We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Really annoyingly like that. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. When they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The crowd joined in. They saw what was happening from the leadership, and they said, we're going to follow suit. The crowd joined in to attack against Paul and Silas. And the the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them to his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with this order. Release those men, the jailer told Paul. The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison, and now do they want, us, want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. 
They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks to us. God, we thank you that you're going to speak to us this morning. You're going to plant seeds deep in our heart that are going to begin to grow as they're watered as we encounter you daily, as we spend time with you daily in your presence. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Do something new in us. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things that define a loud Christian. Number one, Isaiah, I mean, (laughs) number one, they are Holy Spirit empowered loud. They're not just loud for loud's sake. They're Holy Spirit empowered loud. Back to verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met with a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She followed them, and they're shouting, those men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. For many days, finally, Paul became annoyed. He turned and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out. That moment, the spirit left her. The enemy's loud. It seeks to confuse and distract. Every time. So when you're confused about something, when someone's being loud about it, right there, there's, there's a telltale sign. There's a red flag to say, there's something off here. I'm going to go back to the word of God and see what's going on. I'm going to find the truth. Because the Holy Spirit empowered loud, it seeks to bring justice and truth. There's clarity in that. You understand when, when someone is loud about the word of God, you hear the justice and you hear the truth. When the enemy's loud comes about, there's confusion and distraction. It's black and white there. First John 4, 4, but, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit of God, the spirit who lives in you, is greater than the spirit who lives in the world, which this woman was operating from, the spirit that was in the world. So Paul, who had the spirit of God in him, was able to immediately know there's something wrong here. He discerned. He used a gift of the Spirit. And there's, there's a few things Paul demonstrated here. He demonstrated some of the fruit of the Spirit, and he demonstrated a gift of the Spirit. They're two different things, but we have access to both. And, and, and the first one, he demonstrated patience, which is a fruit of the Spirit. He may have thought at some point, this woman, she has got to, to, to end this at some point. Like, she's got to get tired of it from, from, from yelling so annoyingly I mean, it says it in the word of God. Paul was so annoyed at this woman. These are servants of the most high God. I would be so annoyed. I'd be like, come on, like, get out of here. Go, go do this somewhere else. So Paul was patient in enduring that. He, was, he expressed, he, he, he showed patience, the fruit of the spirit, patience in waiting on this woman to get tired. And then he demonstrated self-control because he, he could have blown a gasket and told her how annoying she was being or, you know, popped her upside her head and said, get on out of here, go somewhere else. But he didn't. He remained cool. He kept his cool until enough was enough. And the Holy Spirit rose up inside him. He discerned the spirit in which he was operating. He used the gift of the spirit, discerning of spirits. And he said, this is not of God. And I'm going to do something about it. Enough is enough, and he, he, he used the name of Jesus. He boldly told her, in the name of Jesus, come out. The spirit came out immediately. It's, it's, it's interesting because these things happen a lot, like the, the operating in the, the, the enemy's spirit. And culture seems to be okay with that. Like, that happens a lot through, through things like uh, horror films, even children's cartoons recently. If you, if you haven't seen that, you need to be aware of what's going on and, and what the world's culture is trying to do, even in our children right now. Like blatantly throwing it down our throats. It, it, this, uh, I have a friend, a pastor friend who was at an LSU football game and in the stands, they're, they're, you know, they're playing on the Jumbotron, all these things, and then a commercial comes on for this kid's cartoon that's completely satanic. I mean, 
I watched a clip of the video that he filmed, and I got chills thinking that the world is making this, trying to make this normal. Like a satanic cartoon that your kids are going to be watching if you don't pay attention, because they will if you're not watching what they're doing with their iPads, if they've got cell phones, like be a parent who cares enough to, to see what your kids are doing because the culture is trying to shape them. Don't let the culture shape them. But the enemy tries to creep in through horror films, even now with children's cartoons, through, uh, through glorifying these evil spirits with Ouija boards and seances. And, and, and these are things that are accessible even through craft stores. Like, like your child could go to the store with you and, and see this thing on, on a rack and be like, oh, this looks cool. This looks like fun. I heard about my friends doing this at one of their sleepovers with their friends. This looks like something that would be fun. You may know nothing about it. They may know nothing about it, but it's an opportunity for the enemy to creep in. It's an opportunity for the enemy to come and steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he comes to do. He walks around. He, he, he prances around portraying himself as a roaring lion, as we know he is not. Only the lion of Judah is the true lion, but he likes to pervert things. He likes to make things look similar to what is right that's just far enough off from the truth that people can still believe. That's his only weapon, is deceit and lies. They love to be loud. The world's culture loves to be loud. It attempts to weave evil into the whole culture around us. It's being shoved down our throats. But the moment Christians try to rise up against it, we're immediately called bigots who spew hatred. Immediately. They say, that's, that's no good here. If we confront, if we discern a spirit that's evil and we pray for it to come out, then we're the weird ones. How is this normal? How has the world portrayed this to be a normal thing? I can tell you it's because people are believing the lies of the enemy. They've been blinded from the truth and they're not spending time in the word of God to let it pierce their heart sharper than any two-edged sword. Get in the word of God and see what the Lord's truth is. It's easy to find. But when you're away from it, when you keep it at arm's distance, when you use it as just a band-aid for your, your, like, to, to, to remedy your symptoms instead of going to the core of things, if you go to the Bible only when you're in trouble, then there's an issue there. There's an issue because, because the, the, the enemy knows this, and he's going to use the culture around you to start to create things that you believe is the truth. But if you're in the word of God, if you're digging into his word, the meat of the word, you'll begin to understand the truth and you'll see the lies. You'll discern the lies immediately. It becomes completely clear through the truth of his word. Isaiah 5.20 says, what sorrow for, for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. Does that sound like the world today? They're telling you, they're telling us that what is good is evil. <laughs> it's it's mind-blowing and it's heartbreaking. It breaks my heart that people are so deceived by the lies of the enemy because they're not willing to open the word of God and have a relationship with him who's so loving, who's waiting on you to respond to him. He's waiting for you to see the truth. But people would rather believe the lies and say, yeah, you're right. What they're saying is, is what the Bible is saying is, is good, is evil. Th this whole love is love thing. The only thing that is love is God. That is love. God is love. Like the... That, there's that circular, I, I forget what the phrase is. It's like that circular definition. What is love? And then they answer, well, love is love. No, you can't define love by its own word. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. What does the word of God say? The word of God says, God is love. So we're trying to redefine, the culture is trying to redefine things that are such simple truths. If we stand on the word of God, 
will not be shaken when the things around us begin to change. That has to be the loudest thing in our life. Don't fall for those things that Isaiah warns you of because they're going to face sorrow. It's time that we have Holy Spirit empowered loud that speaks against the things that blaspheme the Lord or his word. One that says, I won't stay silent and the enemy is going to hear the truth blasted like a trumpet from my mouth and I'm going to remind him of his future. Because I know what my future holds. Sometimes we need to remind the enemy, listen, you've got no jurisdiction here. You've got no power over me. I'm covered by the blood of the lamb. I'm washed clean. I'm going to have an opportunity to see Jesus face to face when he welcomes me into heaven to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome into the kingdom of heaven. I long for the day. I long for the day to be with him. But while I'm here on earth, I'm going to do everything in my power to have people join me arm in arm to walk into heaven together, to be loud enough to say, God loves you. He cares about you. Yes, he sees your past, but he's, he can cover that with his blood. He can redeem what's been taken from you. That's what needs to be loudest in our life. Holy Spirit empowered loud, not just loud for loud sake. Number two, and you know this, don't, they don't let their situation dictate their praise. In Acts 16, verses 19 to 24, we just read this. When the owners realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged him to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought him uh, them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, which is a lie. It's a lie, and we'll later discover that. These men are Jews and are throwing our city into up, in uproar by advocating customs unlawful for, us, unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When the, he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. They did everything that they possibly could to not let their voice be heard. This is the enemy at work, to not let their voice be heard, to not let them walk around or move because they were in stocks, which uh, so many times were used to humiliate people. Um, and so Paul and, Cyrus, Paul and Silas, they were there. And, and as an outsider looking in, you would say, the enemy has done a great job. He's shut them up and nothing can happen from here on out. They've got guards who are against them. They're, they're in an inner jail cell. And so at this point, it would be easy for us to understand if Paul and Silas would take on that whole persona of, or, or that whole idea of, woe is me. Look at me, I'm in jail. My feet are... In, in stocks, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Where are my hee-haw people at? <laughs> I, I, my dad, oh man, every time we'd have, you know, some, some story that we thought was just weird, you know, just feeling a lot of self-pity. He'd ask us what was wrong, and we'd tell him, and he's like, I'm so sorry. Gloom, despair, and agony on you. <laughs> and uh, I find myself now saying the same thing to my kids, and they're, they're going to be learning the song soon enough. <laughs> Deep, dark depression. But they could have they said, woe is me. You know, I'm, I'm, this is so, Lord, look what I'm doing for you. Look what I've done for you. I'm in the jail cell. My feet are in stocks. Really, it's chafing. Very uncomfortable. It would have been easy for us to understand if they would have been that way, though. They were beaten. They were flogged. They were dragged to prison. They were humiliated. Okay, I feel sorry for you. 
But when we do that, and I think this is the mindset that they had, they, they knew that if we give in to this, self-pity, that we are, we're misplacing our worship. And, and Bill Johnson, Pastor Bill Johnson, he says this best. He says, fear or worry is just misplaced worship. We're placing our worship in the wrong thing. We're beginning to magnify the thing that doesn't belong. We're magnifying the problem instead of saying to our problem, I want to introduce you to somebody. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll go ahead and handle you from here. Good day. (laughs) And then we give him praise. We focus on what matters. We focus on him. And Paul and Silas, as they were in these shackles in this prison, they understood that their problem was not bigger than their God. They understood that the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, could handle the problem that had been thrown at them. They understood it. And, and, and instead of, you know, focusing on the problem, we introduce it to the Lord and we say, I, I know I can't handle this on my own, but I trust you enough, Lord, because I've seen your faithfulness in my own life. And even, listen, listen, if you haven't yet, if you're here today and you're like, I've not seen God's faithfulness, let me tell you where to find it. It's in the word of God. You can see his faithfulness over and over and over again. His faithfulness is in every area of the Bible. From start to finish, from cover to cover, you can see his faithfulness played out. You you look in the Old Testament and you see the, the Israelites who were brought out of Egypt, out of slavery. They were slaves for years. They were brought out of slavery. And then you, you look in the, the, the New Testament and you see that the prophets, are, uh, the, the, the gospels referencing those stories in the Old Testament and saying, look what God did before. If he did that before, then, then he can do it again. He can do it now. God is faithful. And I can share stories, testimony from my life personally of seeing his faithfulness. And if you need a faith builder, I'll share it with you. Come find me. I'll share some things that God did in my life. But we can see his faithfulness. We we can find his faithfulness and say, I know you've done it before. I know you can do it in this situation. I can see it in your word. So problem, meet my God. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll take it from here. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. And and here it is again. Here's what Paul and Silas demonstrated. Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. What a perspective. So let it grow and don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything. Strong in character, full and complete. Be happy because this is going to be bread for you. This is, what, this is what the Israelites were told in the book of Numbers 14, 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, which were the Philistines, these big, ugly dudes, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. So do not fear them. The thing that is the problem in your life will be the bread to fuel you for the future. It will be the bread to fuel you towards Christ. It will be the thing that spurs you onward, not the thing that that tears you down. Be happy about the trials and tribulation that you face because it's bread for you and you're going to grow from that. There's a book that I'm having our worship and production teams read right now. It's by a man named Bob Sorge. It's called The Secrets of the Secret Place and uh, highly recommend that if you need a good book to read and you want to grow in your, your, your prayer life, go read that book. It's, it's been incredible for our team. It's been incredible for myself personally. Uh, I've seen growth just by implementing some things that he shares about. But this man, he was a worship pastor back in the 70s. And through like a series of, of incidences and uh, surgery on his throat, he lost his ability to sing and really can barely speak. He speaks at a whisper and you've got to really pay attention to what he's hearing. If he speaks in an event, he's got to have a microphone cranked up so you can just hear what he's saying because it's so painful for him to even talk. But this man was a worship leader and now he's teaching others about what worship is 
without singing. Because worship is not a song. It's a part of it. But worship is the life that you live. It's a lifestyle that you lead in daily worship and surrendering to the Lord, encountering him daily, having time to just sit in his presence, to, to sing praises to him, and then to receive from him, to listen to him. A lot of times we, we think prayer is just talking one way. It's like this one-way street. Praying is talking to God, yes, but when you talk to somebody, do you just talk the whole time, or do you wait, and do you pause, and do you listen for a response? So there are moments, you know, that, that you have to learn, like, God, I, I see that you're doing something right now. I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm going to open my ears and hear what you have to say for me, because I know what you have to say is greater than anything that I can say to you. So we receive wisdom from the Lord. Anyways, this book is phenomenal. You need to read it. But I was watching an interview with him, and he was talking about this great depression that he was facing after he lost his ability to lead worship and sing and uh, went through surgeries. I mean, he faced some dark times, and he'll tell you about it um, in his books and in interviews that he does. He faced some dark times, and he was so depressed. He said, I didn't know what else to do but to take it to God. And he said, in one of my... Um, quiet times with him, the Lord said, Bob, I want you to use this depression as fuel to come closer to me. I want it to be the bread for you that spurs you on. And it's interesting that Pastor Isaiah mentioned a sail because in this interview, Bob also mentions a sailboat. And he says, you see these big storms and these swells. And um, if they're in a sailboat, you can see them sometimes they're tipped all the way over, like almost, almost like where they're flipping, they're sideways on this water. And this doesn't mean this, this is the end for the sailboat. What this means is that the sailboat is harnessing the storm that's there by using the wind to spur it on. And he said, the Lord spoke to me, gave me that image and said, Bob, this is you. Use your depression as fuel, use the storm as fuel to draw you closer to me. And I thought, man, what, what an example, like what, what a picture that is to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the stuff that the enemy throws at me, every situation I'm in, and I'm going to use that as my bread to fuel me on. I'm going to use it to fuel me towards Jesus and not away from him. I'm not going to let it be the thing that takes me down. I'm going to lean in to the hard times because I know on the other side of it, I'm going to be so much stronger. I'm going to be so much fuller. I'm going to be growing in him. And he shares in this book, in a chapter entitled, The Secret of Enduring, in this, oh man, this image here is, it encapsulates everything we're talking about today. The, the purpose of God in trials is illustrated through the metaphor of a pearl. When an oyster gets an irritant lodged inside its shell, it forms a protective coating over it and creates a pearl. What started as an irritant ended in a valuable treasure. That illustrates how God redeems our sufferings. Initially, we're distressed, but in the end, we emerge with a pearl of Christ-likeness formed within. The longer the irritant resides inside the oyster shell, the larger and more valuable the pearl becomes. Therefore, the formative value of tribulation is sometimes directly proportional to, to the duration of the crucible. The longer the distress, the more valuable the pearl. When we know this, we can endure with joy. You can endure with joy. No, it's not fun. No, it is not easy. I don't pretend to, to tell you that that's an easy thing to do. It's not, I've been there. But I know on the other side of this, what God is doing me. I know, I know the value that the pearl is gonna be. The pearl is gonna hold on the other side of this thing. That little small irritant one day is gonna be so much more valuable. It's gonna be so much more valuable. Because I endured through prayer. I leaned into him. I used it for bread to fuel me towards him. And he goes on to share about the apostle John who provided an example of what can happen when we endure in prayer through hardship. In his old age, he was exiled to the Roman prison island of Patmos. Maybe he lived in a cave or built himself a hut 
But being a prisoner in his 90s was grueling. He was infirm, hungry, lonely, and tired. To all appearances, he was ending his days in pointless futility. But in spite of the hardship, being devoted to prayer, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which is a reference to Revelation 1.10. How did Jesus honor his friend's prayerful endurance? He visited him in blazing glory and downloaded to him the book of Revelation. Caesar thought he had banished John to a place where his witness would finally be muted. Does that sound familiar? But instead, he was handed a megaphone. John's quill has roared through every century of human history. Enduring prayer turned lockdown into liberty for millions. When you endure in prayer, Christ's purpose in your life is unstoppable. Never give up. Get in the spirit every day. This may be the day that Jesus visits you and, exchange, and changes everything. And John's exiled days led to one of the loudest shouts through the book of Revelation. It's one of the loudest shouts. Caesar thought he shut him up. That's how the enemy works. I'm going to do, he's like, I'm going to do, I'm going to, oh, come on. I'm going I'm to do my worst on you. I'm going to shut your mouth. I'm going to throw you in a dungeon. I'm going to lock you up. Nobody can hear what your God can do anymore. And then they said, okay, let me introduce you to my Lord. The one who makes a way where there is no way. The one who can unlock any door, who can shut any door. He's our God. He's our Savior. And I'm going to shout it from the mountaintops, even when you think you've got me. Shut up. He didn't let his situation dictate his praise. Our problems become fuel to praise him even louder. The problems, they become the platform that I praise the Lord on. The problem becomes the platform that I praise the Lord on. You remember that, that old song? Um, I was in, man, I was probably seven, eight years old. I remember my dad leading worship. We, we had an old school uh, Assemblies of God church, and man, these people, they could hoot and holler. We had to, I think I've shared this before, but we had a, a, a lady, her name, we, 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 back then we called them sister and brother, whatever, you know. Um, and Sister Susie, she sat on the front row, like right over here, and she would, she would get in a shouting fit. She'd jump up and down, run out the door, around the church, come back in, hooting and hollering. <laughs> and, you know, we can look at that and say, that's weird as a kid. I thought it was weird. But <laughs> when God has done something so huge in your life, when you come from a place of, of deep, dark despair, when you come from a place where you thought there was no hope, you thought you couldn't make it anymore, you couldn't make it one more day, and then, and then God pulls you up out of that pit, he turns your life around, there's something different about that testimony than maybe the testimony I grew up with. I grew up in a pastor's home. It's very, it, it's very different. You under, you're around the word of God all the time. You, you see... You see his presence in a different light. You see um, his faithfulness. Yes, you, I've gained so many things, but there's something different about when someone has a testimony that's like from the pit of hell to, to the highest of heights. When you come to know Jesus, that's what that feels like. Like the deepest, darkest despair to the highest you'll ever be in your life. That's what it feels like. And, and when you go from there, something happens inside you and you, you can't contain what God has done for you. And so Sister Susie, she came from that life, and, and she had a shouting fit every Sunday, hooting and hollering, running around the church, but she was glorifying God. And I remember that to this day. Yes, it looked weird when I was a kid, but I have such an honor and a respect for her from knowing where she came from and what God did for her and how her life was turned around. I respect that she did that because she wanted people to know how different her life was because of what he did in her Anyways, I say all that to say, we, 
we, we sang this song. Well, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Yeah, I took back what he stole from me. Oh, I, I took back what he stole from me. Well, I went to the enemy's camp and I, I took back what he stole from me. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. Satan is under my feet. And I, I'm studying this, and, and, and I see the word of God, and I see what he's, what he's done in, in Paul and Silas's life. I see what he did in, in uh, John the Revelator's life. And, and I just think about all those things that the enemy tried to throw at them that they used as the platform to, to shout from the mountaintops what God did. And I started thinking, the enemy is under my feet. I'm standing on a platform of my testimony, of what God has done for me, of what he's redeemed in me. My past may look ugly. It may have been an irritant. It may have been stressful. It may have been nasty, but I'm gonna use that as a platform to shout from the mountaintops what God did in my life. And that leads me to the third point. Number three, they don't let the enemy muzzle them. Acts 16, 35 to 36 when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. In other words, hey, can you, can you just go quietly without causing a scene? Like, we, we, we are sorry. We didn't realize you were Romans. The dude said you were Jews. So can you just like keep this... Hush, hush. Paul's like, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, I ain't going quietly. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. The enemy would love nothing more than to muzzle us. He would love nothing more than for us to go quietly. The thing is, we continue to see our faith publicly ridiculed in, in movies, in TV shows, in, through public figures that we see speaking uh, through, through news channels, through politics. But the Lord isn't calling us to say, stay silent about these things. He says, come against the things that come against me and my word. Come against the things that are blaspheming the word of God. Stand up for the truth. Shout it from the mountaintops so that people can see the truth of my word. We're called to be loud about our faith. He says in Luke 9, 26, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory and in the glory of the father and the holy angels. I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm unashamed of his gospel. And I'm gonna preach it wherever I go. I'm gonna let my life shine a light. I'm gonna let my life do the talking because actions speak louder than words. We know this. It's a simple concept that we're taught as kids. Actions speak louder than words. We say it to our kids all the time. Be, because they're, they're learning, they're growing. And the Lord says the same thing. Stop using your voice to, to try and do the talking. Let your life shine. Let your life be the gospel, the reflection of his word, so that people can come to know him through your life. Because sometimes our words, just they're, they're not enough. They fall dead. They fall on dead ears. But a life lived to reflect Christ cannot be denied. If your life is reflecting him, People are going to notice. People are going to see something different about you. Uh, there, there's a Stephen in the Bible. When he was talking to the Sanhedrin, it said that he lit up. He began to radiate, and they could not resist the spirit in which he spoke. So Stephen, who was about to be stoned to death, they couldn't resist the spirit in which he spoke because it was, he was filled, full of the Holy Spirit, it said in his word. Full of the Holy Spirit. I want to be someone who's... So full of the Holy Spirit. How cool would that be if I'm like standing up here talking and my face just starts glowing? Like people would probably be running out like this dude's about to blow up or something. <laughs> like I got to get out of here. But how, how amazing would that be if my face began to radiate his presence because I'm so full of his spirit. People can't help but recognize what God has done in me, that he's, that he's full in me. I want that. I desire his presence so much so that people just by being around me, know 
that they're near the spirit of God, the one true God. But we say, oh, I'm, I'm just going to keep quiet about this particular situation. You know, I don't know what people will say or do in response to this, and I don't want to ruffle any feathers. We've got to get out of this cowardly mentality of willingly putting on a muzzle. Why, why are we just saying okay? Why are we just letting the enemy's culture begin to consume things because we don't want to ruffle feathers. We don't want to push back against the darkness that's ensuing, that's taking over our world. We need to stand up as followers of Christ and boldly proclaim his truth. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the unique characteristics of the power place. We choose bold, untamed faith. That's what's unique about this place. We're not going to just shy away. We're not going to sit back. We just sing it. Come on, soul, don't get shy on me. There's a lion from the lion of the tribe of Judah in my lungs, and I'm going to shout it. And, and listen, this is not me telling you to pick fights with people. Don't, don't go out and just say, I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to start picking fights, especially on social media. Don't use wisdom. Come on. But be loud about what his word says. There's so, so many examples that we can find in the word of God. And, and at the end of the day, that's, that's, that's all you need to stand on. There's so many examples of people going out loudly. And one is, is the story of Noah and the ark. You, you see Noah and his sons, his family, building this ark. And all the people are ridiculing them. They're mocking them, saying, you're crazy. Like, this is... You're doing this all for naught. Like, it's not going to do anything. There's no rain coming. You're crazy. You're out of your mind, old man. But the day the rain started coming, they were there saying, Noah, we, we believe you now. <laughs> Come on, let us in. But the door that the hand of God shut couldn't be opened again. And Noah said, I, I, I told you. I tried. I did my best. But Noah went out loudly because that ship was loud. That boat was loud. And I don't mean in volume. I mean, that thing was massive. That thing had some girth to it. It was carrying all these animals that we see even today. Two by two, they went on this boat. He went out loud in that massive ship. Elijah is with Elisha standing by the Jordan River. And here comes this fiery chariot, chariot from heaven swoops him right up, and he throws down his mantle to Elisha, that double portion. <laughs> and that's a loud exit, man. Come on, like a fiery chariot out, chariot out of nowhere coming down and swooping up this dude, taking him to heaven. That ain't quiet. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's quite a big one. And then Samson in the temple of, of Dagon, which is the god that the Philistines worshipped. Samson, he's in his last days, he's in this temple He's blind because they gouged out his eyes. He says, hey, hey, help me find these pillars. I, I, I want to rest on them. He rests his hands on the pillars and he prays and asks the spirit of God to come on him one last time. He pushes the pillow, p- pillars down because he decided his God was not going to be mocked and he was not going to be muzzled for this. So he was loud in the only way he knew to be loud. He said, spirit of God, come upon me one more time. He pushed the columns down. It all fell down. Thousands upon thousands of Philistines died, more than he killed in his lifetime. In that one moment, he went out loud. And then Stephen, we just talked about him, as he's being stoned to death. Is they're throwing stone after stone at him. And he's praying, he looks up, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And, and they're stoning him. But he, he goes out radiating with a smile on his, feet, his face. One of the translations says he, until he fell asleep. Until he fell asleep. So I don't know what God did in that moment, but he did something to not even make him feel the pain of what was happening because he was standing up for the truth of his word. He was coming against what the Sanhedrin said. 
which all the people were following. This, I mean, come on. The Bible is, history repeats itself. It may look a little bit different, but come on. You can find those things that are, that are surfacing here today. The leaders of the time were telling the people, this is the truth. And they were joining in. And Stephen said, no, this is the truth. And he was stoned. He was put to death. Listen, the end times are not going to be easy. I'll just tell you that. Um, I, I don't tell you this to scare you. I don't tell you this to, to, to kind of create hype or anything like that. But if you see these things in the Bible happening, then you can't imagine what's going to happen in the tribulation. You can't imagine. So <laughs> if you have an opportunity to make the Lord Jesus Christ your personal savior, take that opportunity. Don't, don't waste another day in doing that because if you're around here during that time, you're gonna see far worse than someone being stoned to death for standing up for Jesus. And Enoch, he was swept up into thin air. He just decided, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go walk with the Lord today. Just walking with him. And then, boom, the Lord takes him up into heaven. He went out loud. And the loudest of all, the loudest of all was Jesus. When he rose from the dead, three days after being crucified and hanging on the cross. Amen. He was the greatest example of loud. And, and he didn't just do it with his voice. He did it. He did it with a gesture. He did it with his arms spread wide on the cross. Blood running down his face blood pouring from his side when he took his last breath, but he rose again three days later. He paid that price for you and for me. And when he rose again, he didn't do that quietly either. He, he, he went on like this celebration thing. He went around eating fish for 40 days. I'm going to do a fish fry for the next 40, fish diet only. Uh, he walked through walls, just poof, showed up in your living room. What's up, dude? How's it going? See these holes in my hand? Just showed up through, I mean, it's crazy. And then he went up on a cloud like, like he was on Mario Brothers ascending to, you know, the secret level to, to, to coin heaven. It's, tr it's true. Read your Bible. <laughs> this stuff is real. I mean, he didn't go to Super Mario Bros, but he did go up on a cloud. <laughs> Worship team, you can come. Acts 16.40. Listen, the, these guys, they did not go quietly. Nothing about what they did in this whole passage was quiet. They first proclaimed, they were proclaiming about what the Lord was doing. He rebuked the spirit in which he was operating. He was loud about it. They threw him in jail. He and Silas began to sing songs, and it says the other prisoners were listening, so... It wasn't just them singing to themselves. I mean, they were loud enough for the whole prison to hear. And then they said, we're not going quietly. You, you did all this publicly. Ain't no way we're leaving quietly. People are going to know about what just happened and what our God did. Acts 16.40, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they said, we ain't going home. We're going to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Here's the cool thing. Like, God knew this was going to happen already because at the beginning, Lydia was one of the first to come to Christ. And Lydia, she, she, was, uh, she dealt in textiles that were, like, prevalent in the culture that day. So she made some money. She had some money in her, her bank. So she had a pretty nice house. And she told Paul and Silas, hey, if you need a place to stay, I got some room for you. If you, if you need somewhere to lay your head... I love what God is doing through you, and I want to provide a place for you. God will take care of you when you're doing his work. Like, you may be worried about, like, how to make rent this next month or how to feed your, your family, but, but if God clothes the lilies, if he feeds the sparrows, how much more does, that's what his word says, how much more does he love you? How much more does he care for you? And, and Paul and Silas knew this because, because when they were ministering, they didn't know where they were going to go, where they were going to stay, but Lydia said, I see the spirit of God on you. I've got a place for you to stay. And then as more people came to know God, more people came and stayed at Lydia's house. That's where they met. So they said, when we're leaving, we're going to stop by Lydia's house and we're going to tell them all that God just did. We're going to encourage. It says, it says they, they encouraged them and then they left. 
So not only are they going to shout while the things are happening, while they're going through the trials and tribulation after the fact, we're going to encourage somebody by what God just did in my life. We're going to encourage somebody by the word of my testimony. People are going to be encouraged. They're going to hear. I'm going to be loud about what God has done. They were loud about what the Lord just did. They made some noise and then they left. They made some noise and then they left. Can we stand together this morning? Every, every Sunday, we take a moment to offer an opportunity for you to come and know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because we don't, we don't know who's coming and, and going in church all the time. We don't know if you need an opportunity to rededicate your life to the Lord. But we want to create that opportunity because like I said, don't wait to make the decision. I, I'm not saying this to cause an excitement for you to say, okay, I'm going to do it now. I'm not, I'm not doing this to try and uh, scare you into making a decision to make the Lord your personal savior. I'm, I'm offering it to you because he loves you so much and he wants you to spend eternity with him. He wants to show you his goodness. He wants to reveal his heart to you. He wants to walk alongside you in this journey called life. And so today, we want to give you that opportunity. I want to read this before I do, though. Verses 27 through 34 in Acts 16. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And he knew that at that point, if they escaped, he was going to die anyways. So he's like, I'm, I might as well just fall on my sword. If they're gone, I'm dead anyways. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And I, I just felt in this moment, this isn't anything I planned, but I felt in my spirit that, that, that the Lord is saying, someone, whether you're here in person or online, that, that you're, you're to the point now where you just want to give up and take your own life because you feel like it's worthless from this point forward anyways. But I'm here to tell you, just like Paul told the jailer, don't give up. Don't give up. We're here. The Lord is here. And he wants to meet you right now. He wants to meet you in this place. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he, he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's all it takes. It's as simple as that. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There's no hoops you got to jump through. You don't have to try and clean your own life up before you come to him. Come to him as you are and he'll, he loves you enough not to leave you there. He'll walk with you through this journey of, of getting rid of hangups and your, your baggage and your past and your hurts and your failures. All of that stuff he can handle. Remember God, uh, you, you introduce him to your Lord. Hey, problems, meet Jesus. He'll, he'll handle you from here. You don't have to do a thing. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So if you're here today and you wanna meet Jesus as your personal savior, I want you to join me down here at the front. We have a prayer team that's gonna come and pray with you. And listen, this is, this is not a forced thing. This, we want to see you come to know Jesus. His word says, his kindness draws us to repentance. Not a guilt trip, not some hype. 
His kindness draws us to repentance. So if you're here today and you want to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you want to experience the joy that this jailer experienced, I want you to join me down front. We're going to wait for just a minute. As we're waiting, can you just worship the Lord? Begin to pray. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you, God, that you're drawing people to your heart right now. Thanks for checking out the PowerPlace audio podcast. If you want more resources for your walk with the Lord, you can visit us online at www.thepowerplace.org. You can check us out on YouTube and Facebook at The PowerPlace Church if you want to watch the service online. And if you want to give, you can text any amount to 84321 or visit the church website.